Now, NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. From time to time, I like to read some NDE reports from the files of IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. And since this week is the week of our annual Labor Day weekend conference taking place this year near Washington, D.C., it gives me a chance to tell folks listening to the show they still might have time to attend. IONS featured speakers this year include Dr. Bruce Grayson, Dr. Jeffrey Mishlov, and Dr. Eben Alexander. But the four-day conference offers 143 speakers and panelists altogether and 11 workshops in all. So check it out at the ions.org website for the live conference or the chance to view it later by recording. When this 22-year-old woman almost drowned in 1978, she had no idea that it would become a pivotal experience of her life. Now, many years later, she knows that it has changed her understanding of herself and her purpose. Not only did she meet Jesus and felt safe and warm with him, even though she did not feel worthy, she later learned that she chose her birth circumstances. Later in life, she discovered that one of the men who was waiting for her on the other side was her biological father, whom she'd never met. And since this discovery, she's been able to accept herself more fully and the mission she returned with. This selection was taken from accounts submitted to IONS and is provided here anonymously. The experiencer's report begins. Give me your hand, a male voice said. I reached up with my right hand, but the waves rolled over me again, pushing me down towards the underwater reef. I struggled to free myself from the water to find air to breathe. I was afraid I was going to get stuck in the reef and die. February 1978. I was on a surf trip with my boyfriend in Rincon, Puerto Rico. I'd been staying in Rincon for about a month, and towards the final days of our stay, I went with a group of surfers to a surf break called Maria's. As soon as we arrived, my boyfriend jumped into the water and paddled out. He didn't want to waste any time missing out on riding as many waves as he could fit into the day. I was new to surfing, so I took my time. The area was rocky with a reef bottom and a rocky reef cliff sticking out from the ocean water. The cliff's height out of the water seemed to be 10 feet tall. The currents were very strong. The waves that day, I thought, were four feet high. Before surfing, I wanted to see what the bottom looked like, so I snorkeled out through the four-foot waves. Unfortunately for me, the waves were much bigger. They were six feet. There was a northeast swell with a south wind blowing. The wall and the lip of the waves were thick. When I was hit by a wave, it felt like a brick wall was falling on me and pushing me down under the wave toward the ocean bottom's reef caves. Nonetheless, thinking the waves were inconsistent and small, I swam out with my goal to get to the outside, past the waves rolling onto the shore, to join my boyfriend and the other surfers. 
After swimming over what I thought was the third wave of a four-wave set, I discovered that the waves were still coming and getting bigger and heavier, not a four-wave four set. I was caught inside a set of waves and being pushed further down toward the bottom of the rocky reef. The undertow made it challenging to swim, and the strong currents pulled me toward the rocky reef cliff. Suddenly, I was being bashed up against the reef cliff, and I tried to climb it to escape from drowning. Sea urchins were all over the cliff, their tentacles grabbing me as I attempted to climb up. I didn't feel the urchins, but heard their tentacles cracking off into me. My red crochet bikini was twisted and torn in places that exposed parts of my body for more ripping up. I slid down the cliff back into the water. Another wave came and pushed me under. I'm going to die. I was drowning. I couldn't breathe. I was choking on salt water and being pushed further and further down to the reef bottom towards the caves. I remember thinking that if I got trapped under the reef, I would never surface to the top again. As I came back up, another big wave pushed me into the rocky cliff. I felt more sea urchin tentacles push into me. The needles stuck deep into me as I slid back down the rocky cliff, scraping me more as I headed back into the water. The experience seemed to be in slow motion. Once again, I thought if I could just climb the cliff, I might have a chance of saving myself. When I popped back up out of the water, choking and frantically swimming to stay afloat, a wave pushed me onto the cliff and I started climbing up the rocky reef. As I climbed, more sea urchins' tentacles landed in my hands, my arms, my breasts, my legs, and under my nails. Numb to the pain and highly alert to the sound of each tentacle breaking off into my body and the thunder of the ocean, with a rush of adrenaline, I continued to climb higher and prayed, please don't take me, Lord. I'm not worthy to go now. Reef abrasions tore into my skin, dripping blood onto the rocks as I climbed. The ocean was roaring at me. I felt it agreed with me that she's not worthy, but had concluded instead to let her drown. It seemed like forever that I continued to climb for my life. Another wave reared up. I had to get higher, or it was going to take me down and under. I'm going to die for sure if I slide down again. As I crawled up the cliff with every last ounce of energy I could muster, I prayed again, God, please don't take me. I haven't done enough in your name. There I was, hanging on for dear life, trying to bargain with God to give me more time on earth. At that moment, I detached from my body, and a cloudy version of myself was pulled straight up and out from my body through my head. I could feel the weight of my body lifting from me. Uh, my cloud-like self was then forcibly put upon my bottom in an upright sitting position on the top of an old wooden bench. There I floated, hovered, sat above the bench. I wasn't touching it. I was aware simultaneously of my drowning physical body below, struggling to get away from the big wave that had reared up and was about to strike me and wash me back down the cliff into the water. As I observed my material physical self trying to survive, I witnessed below me on the beach that people were gathering and I heard a young man yelling, there's a woman out there drowning, caught on the reef. Let's go save her. As I observed my physical self struggling for survival, 
I witnessed the gathering of people joining the young man. A human chain was being made to rescue me from the ocean. Being keenly aware of the scene and also having a heightened sense of awareness of sound and warmth, I hovered in a seated position over the wooden bench and watched an unfolding scene which included a review of my life. To my right, there was a very long stream of warm, bluish, white, lightning-like light. As I levitated over the bench, intuitively, I knew this force was in control. I remember thinking, this light must be God. My cloud-like self was shaking with fear, a kind of fear I've never experienced before. I was scared that I was going to be judged and found not worthy enough to go into heaven. I was fearful that I hadn't been living my earthly life to the divine fullest. I was no saint, and I wasn't all that bad either. At the time, I didn't know why I thought I wasn't worthy enough to be in the company of the divine, but years later I would find out that it was a learned adaptation from my childhood. As the light of God was to my right, there was a tunnel in front of me and to my left. My growing up father, Joe, was floating to the left of the entrance in a cloudy form of blues and browns. To the right of the tunnel, next to the entrance, floated Christ in a cloudy form of whites and pastel colors of pinks and blues. I felt safe with Jesus and, and seemed to calm down a little when I looked his way. He radiated warmth and love and telepathically let me know that it, it was okay. My growing up dad seemed to be communicating inside of the tunnel with a shadowy figure. Intuitively, I knew this form was a man and they seemed to know each other like they were friends. The shadowy figure was asking Joe if I was coming. Joe replied, we don't know yet, and glanced over at Jesus. Jesus replied, patience, we don't know yet. We're waiting to see. Joe gestured back to the shadowy figure to confirm what Jesus said. The shadowy figure man was about the same height as my father, he was very energetic and endowed with thick, Elvis-like hair with a wave in it. He went down the tunnel to inform the other beings. I, I could hear a murmur from the end of the tunnel from the collective gathering of beings. In harmony, they asked, Is she coming? Then the shadowy figure came back down the tunnel and asked my father Joe the same question, Is she coming? Intuitively, I felt as if I knew this male entity, but didn't know from where or why. There were thousands of beings in a dark, silhouetted collective form at the end of the tunnel, all coagulated together and murmuring, Is she coming? The group at the end of the tunnel knew me. It was then communicated telepathically to me that they are my ancestors and friends waiting to greet me. The shadowy figure went back down the tunnel to answer their question. Projected onto a white screen to the right of the tunnel in front of me, I watched a panoramic view of my life in reverse. My story was reviewed as a black-and-white 35-millimeter movie film. It began with seeing myself drowning and seeing people coming together to save me. From there, I saw flashes of my life and childhood. The projection went by so quickly it was difficult to focus and know what I was seeing. I remember thinking, Please slow down the film. 
Then the film changed to a dull color, and I observed my birth and before my birth. The film slowed down, allowing me to take in more clearly what was being shown to me. I saw myself asking to be born to my parents so as to learn the lessons of perseverance and resilience. In the viewing, I witnessed telepathically being told by a spiritual being, it's time for you to be born. I had to leave. However, I didn't want to stop riding my white horse to be born. I saw myself as a young child, 10, 12 years old, riding through the air. In the life review, I was a streaming cloud of colors, yellows and light tans, riding on a white horse similar to the cloud forms and colors of Christ and my father Joe. I was aware that this projected self on the screen once lived on the other side of the dark tunnel. I saw a very long, wavy, off-white lighted, cloud-like mane on the horse. I thought, how very beautiful the horse's mane was, and how regal I looked atop the powerful horse. Is that person really me riding that horse, I thought. I then heard the sound of the film flapping loudly behind me as it finished on the reel and went around and around, flapping, signifying the end of the reel. Looking back, I wondered if the flapping was actually the sound of the waves bringing me back to my earthly reality. The beginning of this viewing was at warp speed, and at the end it was easier to focus on what I was seeing. As I viewed the film, I was very aware of multiple events happening. There was the shadowy figure in the tunnel, and at the end of it was the collective consciousness of the beings waiting for me and murmuring in a tone-like chant, Is she coming? To my left, as I hovered over the old wooden bench, my father Joe was standing by the tunnel entrance. To the right of the tunnel entrance was Jesus. He was a man in his thirties and was floating about two feet off a cloud. There was the light God next to me, to my right at a touchable distance. My life review was screening, and finally I could see the scene of me drowning and people gathering to save me. I was aware of this all happening at the same time. I remember this overwhelming feeling of love and acceptance in a way I never felt. I was scared, but not as frightened as when I first arrived. As I recount this event to you, it all took place very quickly. I intuitively remembered feeling this connection to everything and thinking maybe it wouldn't be so bad if I went down the tunnel. Then I was aware of God telepathically telling me loudly and directly that I was to go back and teach that God does exist. The Spirit continued to tell me, go and prove to everyone about what you have seen and experienced. The next thing I remember is being thrown back forcibly into my body, through my head at light speed, and God telepathically telling me, time is of an essence, time is short as you know it. Go teach, I am that I am. I landed back inside my body with a hard jolt. I then felt the reef abrasions on my body and the sea urchin needles under my fingernails and the rocky cliff slicing open more wounds on my body. As I gasped for a breath and braced myself for the incoming wave to push me to the reef bottom once again, the young man said, Give me your hand. He stood precariously, 
bending over on a section of the rocky cliff with an extended arm and hand out to me, offering help. He was being held and supported in a chain of about five or six people, young men and two women. This was the group I observed gathering in my out-of-body experience. I reached my hand up to the young man, and he pulled me up and passed me down the human chain all the way to the white sandy beach. I remember thinking, these people risked their lives to save me. I remember feeling this unconditional love and compassion for these people out in the depths of the waves, standing on the rocky reef cliff, risking their lives for mine. I remember thinking, they're getting cut up for me. Once safely on the beach, I remember a young woman offering me her white towel. I told her I couldn't take it because it would get all bloody. She told me it doesn't matter. You need it more than I do. She helped me put my red crochet bikini back in place over my breast and bottom. I was naked, bloody, and twisted up in my bathing suit. I lay down on the beach, and my boyfriend came to my side. I was murmuring something to him. He replied, Don't ever tell anyone that. They'll lock you up in a mental institution. I went into shock and was rushed to the hospital. For years, my boyfriend's words kind of froze my resolve. Over the years, as I experienced a few difficult relationships in my work and personal life, I believed what people believed about me at the time not being worthy and that what I had to say was not valid. That belief only strengthened my ex-boyfriend's warning, but my NDE was real and I couldn't stop thinking about it every day. Forty-five years later, when I was 65 years old, through DNA testing, I found out that my growing up father, Joe, was not my biological father. And before my mother's recent death, she confirmed that. Since this admission, my blinders have come off and my whole being has been transformed and awakened into a more confident and self-assured human being. Knowing that I was gaslit my whole life brings healing and an understanding as to why I wore blinders most of my adult life and felt unworthy. As a child and teen, I intuitively sensed a family secret, and this shadow lived strongly around my parents. Before my mother died, she said I was a constant reminder of my biological father because I looked so much like him. It was difficult for them to wake up to, to me every day. As I aged, the resemblance to my biological father could not be ignored. Their pact to never tell anyone that I was not Joe's child was a painful one. I grew up with their family trauma, pain, and emotional abandonment imprinted on my soul, which gratefully has been healed. When I met my half-siblings, two sisters, they showed me an 8 by 10 photo of our biological father, Raymond. My NDE flashed in my mind, and I intuitively knew that shadowy figure was my biological father, Raymond. A loud voice telepathically said, that's him. It was not the first time that I heard that voice confirming and telling me things. However, now with more confidence, I knew for sure that the loud voice was as real as me. Since this experience, the message, I am that I am, and that God exists weighs on me on how best to share it. I sometimes see a scene flash in my mind and or sense 
in my body that I know a person from a past life experience we had together. This experience was especially strong when I met my ex-husband, the father of my children, in the early 1980s. I now believe that there is a collective consciousness that we go to after leaving our physical body, and that we will be met with unconditional love and someone we know who has passed. Even if we may not recognize them, we have a connection to them, like my biological father. I know that I am always loved by God, Christ, no matter how I think I might not be worthy enough. I'm now in a constant dialogue with Christ every day on how best to serve all sentient beings. And there ends the, that experiencer's report. Our next report comes from the files of Ions and tells the tale of a woman's experience while plunging over a mountainside to her seemingly inevitable death. This young woman leaves her body and has shown things, told things, and given choices that helped her life change for the better. Although almost 30 years passed from that day to the day she wrote this account, it includes her realizations during and since the accident. Her account begins this way. There is a lot more to this story, but I will start here. Our small red Jeep was sideswiped by an oncoming car that came hurling toward us, skidding on the ice and out of control. The impact not only hurled the Jeep with us, with us in it over the side of the mountain, but it also drew me out of my body. In this out-of-body state, I was shown poignant moments of my life. In particular, I was shown three very odd and seemingly disparate things. First, I was shown that although I had seen the sun come up over the horizon many times, I had never truly seen it. I had never actually viewed the awe and splendor of the arrival of a new day, never taken the time to experience the fingered rays of light as they moved slowly, peeled back the black of the night. I had never truly witnessed the symbolic hope of a new day, the possibility of the soul, the grace and beauty of life. Second, I was made to understand that I had never smelled the earthly aroma of freshly cut grass. And again, of course, I had in many times, but only in passing. I'd never done so with a deliberate intent of experiencing the magic moments of pleasure and grace offered by my senses. For the most part, I had totally disregarded my senses and hurried through my life. I was always too busy, on my way somewhere else, to stop and smell the roses much less the freshly cut grass. At that time in my life, everything was a means to an end. My life as a single mother was a matter of practicality, utility, and necessity, and not pleasure. The grass had to be cut. It did not have to be inhaled or experienced on a visceral level of pleasure. That was optional. And again, I was too busy. The same was true of my other senses, in my survival rush, I had forgotten, literally and figuratively, to see, smell, listen, taste, and touch the beauty of my life. To this point, touch was the third thing I was shown. I'd never reached out and touched another, truly touched them with my physical body. Obviously, I had two children, so I had touched another and very intimately, but my contact was with most was again utilitarian. It was a means to an end. 
I brushed my children's hair to send them off to school, but I rarely took the time to simply caress their tender heads. In the lonely time after my divorce, unaccompanied by a mate, I went through long periods with little or no physical contact. On some level, I must have known that this would be detrimental to my body as I somehow decided to schedule a weekly massage. At that time, I did not know why I craved massage so much. Now I understand the importance of physical contact. So now, if we meet in person, you most assuredly will get a hug. All of this and more was shown to me as the Jeep tumbled to the bottom of the icy mountain. In that suspended moment where time seemed to be absent, I experienced an overwhelming wave of remorse for the wasted and unacknowledged moments of my life. I was also shown that many others at the point of death have the same great sadness and sense of loss. For many, the value of human life was not fully acknowledged until it was too late and they were slipping over the edge into death. In that instant, I understood that each soul is here for the bliss of its own existence. It was a glorious but ironic discovery as it was too late for me, too late for bliss, too late for anything. Our small red jeep was skidding out of control on the icy mountain road and falling fast toward the unmoving ground below. We helplessly fell 25 feet through empty space before hitting the unforgiving embankment of ice below. After rolling and flipping over and over 10 more times, we finally came to a sudden halt and were wedged into the side of the icy mountain. Everything was in slow motion as I resigned myself to my impending death. I closed my eyes and disappeared into a blur of darkness and bursts of light. I was quite shocked to wake up back in my body and overjoyed to be given a second chance at life. The sense of being given another chance to live in the same life but with a different perspective was overwhelming. Rather than just surviving, I would truly be alive. After the accident, there was a subtle but important change in the verbiage and experience of my life. Instead of seeing life as a heavy burden where I had to be responsible and take care of myself, look after my children and others, I realized that I get to do all of the above, that I get to be responsible, get to be a good mother, to smell the roses and freshly cut grass that I get to experience the joy and pain of life, that nothing was forced upon me, that we all, on some level, choose to be here. I was also shown multiple destinies, in which, in one of which I would die, and in others where my life would be negatively impacted by the accident, as well as the one I chose, this one, to come back and to be a force of good. Why? Because I chose to, and I get to. This small change in perspective changed everything. In addition, I was no longer afraid of death. I knew experientially that what comes after we die in the physical sense is good, abundant, and loving. In an instant, my perspective was forever altered. Now, rather than fearing death, it was time to truly savor my life, time to live a meaningful existence, to listen to the deep longing of my soul, and to be of service to others to be of service to you. Time to shift directions. Instead of running from death, I would purposefully run toward life, love, and the opportunity to be of service. 
None of the above changes were necessarily hard, but they were not easy either. The negative spiral of fear is heavy and weighs on this planet. I had to be diligent in my daily commitment to be more conscious, purposeful, and alive. To this very day, some 30 years later, I still have to purposely choose every day to see the good and the God in all. It is an ongoing practice of remembrance. To purposefully remember who I really am beyond my body, mind, intellect, and emotions. To remember that we are not defined by the circumstances or the conditions of a fleeting human life. To connect with that greater part of us that is unchanging and eternal. To choose love over fear. To choose love over fear. All the aforementioned shifts in consciousness require that we take full responsibility for our lives, irrespective of the inner or outer circumstances that quake through our being. To choose love is to reclaim our birthright and power by aligning with the goodness and grace of God. As we recognize the full impact and consequence of our choices, we naturally reclaim our power and open the door to previously unavailable opportunities and unimaginable universes. This requires that we refuse to live on automatic, refuse to give our power away, and most importantly, refuse to be a victim of our circumstances. My life was forever changed as a result of the devastating car accident that brought me to the precipice of my life in this body and face to face with God. In an instant, as the Jeep tumbled down the side of an icy mountain and I watched from above, I was shown several available life option, options. One of the options was to leave my body and this earth behind, to die. Another option, and the one I chose, was to come back to this life and share this message of love. I was also shown many realities and given free will to choose. As I said, I could have chosen to leave this world, but I didn't. I came back to be a lighthouse, a beacon of hope to be a candle in the night for you and for anyone and everyone with eyes to see and ears to hear. I came back on a mission of love. As we helplessly spiraled out of control on that icy mountain road, a being of light told me to tell the world that love is all that matters. I was shown that I would write a book and share the message of unconditional love with the world. I was also shown that Sound and light were the future of medicine, and told to include that in the book. It was all so beautiful and so overwhelming, too. At that time in my life, I wasn't yet able to fully understand the immensity of this message or how to share it. I most certainly did not feel worthy or ready to be a conduit and spokesperson of the unfathomable love uh, that had enveloped me in grace and light. I had to first heal my childhood wounds before I could embody this message of unconditional love and fully share it. It took a lot of time, patience, and determination to step into my power and embody and tell the world that love is all that matters. The culmination of my readiness was to share the message of love, which I am ready to do now. If I had to sum it up in one sentence... What I learned in the past 20 years as I prepared myself to embody and share this message, it would be simply that the purpose of life is to love. Love is all that matters. 
And here the account ends. The author of this account, however, Crystal Ray, has since written a book, Love Letters to Your Soul, which is available at Amazon. My thanks to Crystal Ray and all the experiencers who submit their stories to IONS for sharing these powerful personal experiences with us. And thanks to you for listening. If you'd like to hear this show again or any of our more than 500 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the Past Shows button. Or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE Radio library. And be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying once again, thanks for listening.